0: The European View podcast. Your place to navigate the insights of our policy journal, brought to you by the Martin Center. With Sara Pini. Hello and welcome to the European View podcast. Your new way to navigate through the main issues of our policy journal with valuable insights from the authors themselves. I'm Sara Pini, a senior research officer at the Martin Center, and today we have with us Nathan Shapura, a senior policy advisor who is currently working at the European Parliament, who wrote an article titled "One for All: A Sustainable Story of European Democracy." You can find this and all the other articles of the latest European view on our website martincenter.u. Welcome, Nathan.
1: Uh, thanks so much, Sad. It's always good to speak with you and always good to be uh, in the Martin Center.
0: Thank you. Yeah, you, you are part of the family. Uh, so, Nathan, in your article, you argue that the EU needs to tell a better, a more coherent, a more compelling story uh, with, to use your uh, own words, one narrator, one audience, one voice and one script. Can you briefly sum up your thoughts uh, on the matter?
1: Sure. I think, uh, and maybe we don't say this enough, first of all, I think the European Union has been an extraordinary, creative, very successful project, um, sui generis really in the world, uh, an experiment. Uh, and it's done very well. But of course, like any project and any democratic project, it needs to constantly improve and adapt. Uh, and I think we see now new threats uh, with, within Europe, but in particular outside of Europe and in the, in the broader world, uh, as Radek Sikorsky recently said in a foreign affairs article, Europe needs to find a way to survive and prosper in a world of battling giants. And I think um, that is clearly the case. And I was trying to uh, address that reality by proposing ways that European democracy itself can be stronger and more legitimate, more democratically legitimate um, by, for example, having a European Commission President elected by the people, uh, and we can go into more what that means, um, by actually, Conceiving of in some systemic ways the European people as a demos as one constituency, and then by uh, actually communicating better and telling a better story to that demos to that constituency, and also some some practical ways. So that was sort of the 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 context and the the basic argument I was trying to lay out.
0: When I was uh, uh, listening to this year's State of uh, the European Union. Um, I thought that it was a bit uh, in line with what you were suggesting more than, uh, than in the past about the importance of telling stories of Euro- real Europeans. Uh, President von der Leyen referred to uh, young people who are going to vote for the first time next year, to the people who experience uh, wildfires and floods, to this young Ukrainian mother calling uh, Europe home. Uh, do you think it's enough?
1: I think that was very welcome uh, that President von der Leyen did that this year, uh, not for the first time, but, but I think this year, indeed, she made more use of these kind of very personal stories. And I think it's very important and very powerful. Uh, it's a way, for one thing, to let people around the continent know that they in their own region, their own country are important, that they're seen. I think it's also um, a way to help people simply remember policy items, policy prescriptions, which otherwise maybe are difficult to to latch onto so it's a very you know in that sense practical way to communicate and maybe uh, more more profoundly and we don't maybe talk about this enough it's a way to build empathy which is so crucial, especially in a a world dominated by social media uh, incentives, which you know so often incentivize hatred and vitriol going viral uh we need to keep telling stories to each other that are authentic and that help us put ourselves in other people's shoes in the shoes of people who have different walks of life come from different member states um so i think for all those reasons it's really important uh yeah for for specific for for european politicians in general but specifically the european commission president and specifically in that particular moment when he or she is able to address the entirety of the european population at once
0: yeah, that that was also one of your proposal to address people and not the uh, the member of parliament. Exactly,
1: and that can be done. I mean, I would say also even very practically with things like having the speech not in the morning uh, but in prime time when people could actually watch it across the continent, looking into the camera, addressing. European citizens not just the members of the chamber.
0: And uh, so this is more about content what about the the form how we can improve uh, the language that the EU institution and also uh, political parties are are using especially in view of the uh, upcoming elections?
1: Well maybe first I would say just some some mechanical things which could really help when you look at um, a European parliamentary debate on the website for one thing often the website is not very functional or it doesn't Stream properly, or there's some kind of uh, difficulty with it. Sometimes you you look and you see you're, you're trying to find the name and the the, the speaker, uh, the, the the party affiliation or the country affiliation of the speaker, and it's and and the timing is off. So some of these things can be better, you know, um, better done to be able to better follow the debates. I think why not simply stream all the debates uh, and have a channel and a and a log of of streaming and restreaming some of these debates with chyrons you know done in a very accurate timely way showing speakers names party affiliations country affiliations uh european group level affiliations as well party political affiliations at the eu level to help school children on projects follow what's going on to help even sometimes meps themselves follow what's going on because they don't know all of their other 704 colleagues so these things i think can be improved on the language itself i think obviously if you're looking at a legal text you expect it to be in legalese but when you're looking at a press release or a post, a blog post or um, uh, a social media post or one of these things, you don't expect that. You expect to be able to actually understand what you're reading. And so often the, that's not the case. Uh, the lingua franca of increasingly Europe and, and in particular, well, and definitely of the, of the broader world is English. And so normally these posts are done, you know, these press releases are done in English. Sometimes the English itself is not... Very good. Um, And also, uh, but it's not just, I think, uh, often a technical problem. Sometimes it's actually, it seems, or or one wonders, and maybe a question is, is it sometimes done in a way even to keep journalists, to keep voters at a bit of a distance? And I think that's also something which I would say, uh, in the long run, is not very healthy or very sustainable for European democracy, even if in the short term, there might be reasons to understand why That could be the case uh, to keep, because there's such inter-institutional rivalry, inter-member state rivalry. Sometimes um, it's always, or it's very often convenient, of course, politically, not to ascribe agency to a particular decision. But but that's not ultimately good for voters, uh, because they need to have arguments presented to them: uh, who is doing what, why, when, and what are the alternatives. Uh, And so I think. The more the institutions themselves even can keep voters or are incentivized to keep voters in mind uh, and the stories of individual people in mind who are their voters when they're making decisions and when they're, te- you know, when they're communicating about that, then the better in the long run.
0: Of course, if the institution follow your advice, the GMM would be out of job, but it would be better for democracy. Um, in the conclusion of your article, uh, you say a real European constituency must, by listening to the past and looking to the future, find the voice to tell its story. But what do you think this story should be? Uh, is the never again that, you know, laid the foundation of uh, the European project after two bloody world wars enough? Or maybe we should find a new story, a new project to unite us.
1: Well, I think this is one of the most fundamental questions facing Europe, and one of the hardest to answer. And I and I don't have a good answer to it. My my point in the article was to say I think um, very importantly and essentially, the raison d'être of the European Union is essentially this never again um, commitment to never again allow one group of people in Europe to dominate and even try to annihilate another, to never again allow conquest by force within Europe. Um, I mean these are really powerful motivating factors which ultimately brought the continents together after so many decades of of conflict and war and centuries even of war into some incredible new creative project. But I wonder now, so that's you know that's a long time ago, and I wonder as memories fade, as generations pass away, if that particular memory is enough to hold together, I mean, we could even broaden it and say not only the European Union itself, but even the post-war liberal democratic order internationally, is that vision itself enough? Or is there not perhaps some other more forward-looking, more visionary, more positive vision needed? And I don't know what that might be exactly. I think uh, I'm, I'm an American, now also a Belgian, so I'm a Belgian-American with with I would say, an appreciation for and a commitment to two different polities and two different projects. And I know in the United States, I think there would be some, you know, after a long struggle, in particular the Civil War, there there would be some sense of coherence and some array of coherent answers to questions like, you know, who are we? What is our—what are we about? You know, I mean, I think— I think Americans might say, for example, you know, we are striving for ever, ever more, an ever more perfect union, for liberty and justice for all, and the means by which that's accomplished is a government of the people, for the people, by the people. Uh, and I, I wonder if Europeans would be asked such a question: What is the European Union about? What, how do we get there? I don't know that you would find very common answers across the continent. Um, and so I think that's a question that. It's an interesting question, and it's a very important, vital question for fundamentally voters to answer, and that was what I was trying to lay out in the article as well. This is is something voters need to decide on based on clear proposals, clear alternatives, campaigning, and ultimately voting, voting that matters and that is responsive cycle by cycle to the needs which they face uh, going forward.
0: And you also said that uh, democracy is about input, but it's also about output, about the the result that you can put uh, on on the table as an entity. Um, how can we make EU democracy more efficient, more capable of delivering, so that we can together cope with the fel- challenges that we are facing?
1: Well, one of the the hot topics now uh, is qual- qualified majority voting, as an example. So in the European Union of 27 member states, and and likely and hopefully in the not so distant future even more, maybe over 30 uh, in the end, uh, member states, how do you move forward in any sort of efficient manner whatsoever if you have every member state having a veto on so many important uh, areas of policy? So qualified majority voting would be one way to help streamline that process, make it more efficient. I would even maybe hear Put forward another very or maybe bold idea, which I didn't write about in the article, which I've been thinking about just the last few days, is and that is, you know, why not uh, or or would it be possible to create in Europe a kind of a a kind of a security council within the 27 or 30 or 35 um, member states, so that you know every member state would have a vote, but on certain key issues only a rotating council of member states from different regions of different population sizes representing, thereby, the entirety of, uh, as best as possible, the European Union. Only a a rotating council of five or six member states would have veto power, and maybe that rotates every six months or every year. But uh, that might be just one other way, another idea for how to even further streamline this process uh, of making Europe more efficient, more responsive internally, but but also uh, in the world.
0: And the EU Security Council is one of the proposal of uh, the, the 70s, our flagship. Uh, well, even, even better. So
1: I'm, uh, yes, uh, echoing echoing uh, someone who was uh, fleshing this out before me. So,
0: so let's uh, pass to the topic of U.S. democracy, since you are an uh, American. Um, actually, everything you said in your article about telling a story, you put it into practice when you imagine uh, a speech that uh, Biden could have made, a State of the Union speech, uh, to bring Americans together around the common and reinvigorated sense of the shared past and uh, the shared purpose. Is there still time to find, to recover this, uh, this unity?
1: I think so, but I, I definitely worry about um, the American polity and the American social fabric, because I, I think that we're seeing now um, strife that we we haven't really seen, maybe even, I mean, arguably not even since the Civil War, but I think certainly since the '60s. Um, so I definitely worry that that arriving at again a period of national consensus and unity and common vision going forward, um, I worry that it that we might not arrive at that point again. Until we go through another period of even more intense turmoil and bitter partisanship and even worse perhaps internally, I certainly hope not. Uh, and I and I would go on the record saying and uh, and I think it's actually important to go on the record saying, I, I think another Trump presidency would be not only very alarming for for europe and and many other parts of the world and for global security, but I think it would be most of all, very alarming for the the health and 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 durability and even maybe existence as we know it of the american republic so um i think we're in an extraordinary period of time and the next year in uh in the united states is going to be very consequential
0: yeah this uh, the, there's this uh article by uh, robert kagan just uh recently appeared uh where he warns about the. Likelihood of uh, uh, America turning into a dictatorship in sec- in case of a second Trump's term, but do you think that uh, that uh, uh, um, American democracy still has the antibodies? Let's say that it uh, proved on sixth of January two thousand
1: twenty one. Well, we will see. I I think so. I believe so. But I think that we we came maybe closer on January sixth than we. Um, certainly ever expected that we that we would and and maybe even closer than we than we know even now as far as uh this or that institution being being very close to caving somehow or or imploding or being pushed just too far you know far enough to where something really irreversible or or lastingly damaging uh took place so I, I think President Trump, in my mind, is it's clear President Trump, after the 2020 election, even before the 2020 election, starting before, was pushing against one institution after another to see how far he could go, and he was able to go very, very far. So some safeguards have been put in place since then, um, but but ultimately, these things are political questions decided by voters and um, and the, the the representatives whom they elect, um, and by the judges who determine cases. Uh, sometimes uh, they become politicized as well, um, and even—and this would be—is a, t- a terrifying prospect. Even potentially by the the, the armed forces uh, or law enforcement agencies, if they too are caught up in um, a kind of an existential political conflict, uh, how will that turn out? I, you know, I think no one knows. And these are all issues which Robert Kagan laid out in his in his in his piece, which I think is is. Is definitely worth uh, anyone's time to read, and because I think he he lays out some very um, yeah some some very uh, potential some very truly potential scenarios, um, which 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 Europe as well and he doesn't in, in that article address Europe's potential response, but which Europe needs immediately, I would say. <laughs> Uh, and even Trump's president, Trump's candidacy starting in 2015 was already a wake-up call, and then his victory, of course, in 2016 was a huge wake-up call for Europe. But I think the, the biggest wake-up call, uh, the biggest wake-up call yet for Europe, would come if Trump wins a second term. So the, the, the need to start preparing for that now on things like defense uh, strategy for the Indo-Pacific, um, even Europe's approach, I would say, to the multilateral system. Per se, uh, perhaps need some some sharper thinking and some maybe some revisions. Uh, if indeed the, as I believe we are in a newly bipolar uh, world and not in a, in a in a in a multipolar world, then that has also implications for Europe uh, as to how it should it should act and how it should act alongside of uh, a United States partner, which will remain. I think Europe's bedrock partner, no matter who's elected in the United States, but, but even if, yeah, indeed, even if the United States has uh, President Trump leading it, who wants to retrench even further and pull back even further from the international system, what is Europe's role then uh, geopolitically with, um, in defense of international liberal democracy? And I think Europe might need to, even though this is uncomfortable and, and very difficult for Europe, might even need to play a more leading role.
0: Yeah, well, uh, American democracy proved uh, resilient uh, in the past. It has overcome several uh, challenges. Let's hope that it will be the same. But as you said, the, it, we also have to do as Europe our part and think about uh, the 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 consequence of any outcome of the election Um, well thank you Nathan thank you very much for joining us thank you for this uh, this very interesting uh, analysis and for those listening in make sure to like comment and subscribe and discover all the interesting insight of the European view on our website martincenter.eu and on our social media channel thank you very much and stay tuned for more thanks so much This was the European View podcast, your place to navigate the insights of our policy journal. Follow the Martin Center for more.